What's going on, guys? Welcome to our latest episode for Puncher Knowledge. Tonight's episode, we're going to be meeting with Michelle Bragg. Uh, she's been working with the subprime industry here for about close to 15 years amongst different institutions as well as different credit unions along the way. Uh, she's going to be sharing with us some insight about what subprime is and how subprime differs from prime and for uh, those that are currently in the prime industry, but based on what's going to happen with COVID and are going to be struggling, what kind of options are going to be available for you today, all right? So stay tuned. My name is Aaron Tabasum and this is Punch Your Knowledge. Awesome, guys. Welcome back. Thanks for sharing April 19th with us here today. Uh, I just want to let you know before I introduce Michelle in, uh, we did do this podcast uh, over the phone or this interview for this podcast over the phone. Um, again, we're just practicing social distancing, everything the health officials are saying. Um, so with that in mind, uh, without further ado, I'm going to introduce Michelle. Michelle, welcome to our show. Thank you. I hope you and your family are keeping safe and well. Um, and without further ado, I just have a few questions I would like to ask for you uh, during this Q&A session. So let's begin. All right, Michelle. So the first question I have for you today for a lot of our viewers that must be wondering, what is subprime and how does subprime differ from prime? Like what what is the real entitlement where someone can classify themselves as prime or someone can classify themselves as subprime? The sub as a prefix indicates below or beneath or less than. In the case of lending, we are looking at a situation where the credit offering of an applicant is less than optimal or generally desired for when issuing credit. The subprime industry allows for those with less than perfect credit to obtain loans and other offerings of financing. They do this by offsetting the risk of past poor financial behavior with a higher interest rate. In the situation where the funds could have been given to someone who has a good payment history, the higher rates um, for those individuals shows the opportunity cost of a lender for investing in poor credit versus opting for a safer investment. It's just like when you're investing in the stock market, you get higher rates on a riskier investment and lower rates in a GIC or bond. Same thing, right? The GIC or bond is like the good credit or good past history, the higher or riskier investment is that person who might have been a credit criminal in the past, okay? So the lender in these situations is attempting to recover more of their investment faster with higher rates, giving, uh, let's see, so there is less loss in the event of a default and the potential to be greatly rewarded for taking on that risk for a customer who has shown past credit challenges. Um, the subprime market differs from the prime market in many ways, from the range of interest rates to how many hoops the applicant has to jump to earn the right to a loan or financing, how lenient the lender is making payment arrangements to reporting the behavior of the lender on the credit bureau, how many charges might be associated with different activities on the loan as well. In a situation where the customer has prime credit, say a score of 660-ish, 670-ish and above, their previous history speaks for itself 
and is something precious to be protected so that the lender will allow this to weigh more heavily in the evaluation of loan worthiness and, so, and in some cases um, prime, especially super prime credit is all that's really needed to obtain financing. Think of it this way. Subprime credit, initially the doors are all closed. You're like banging your head against the wall. The more subprime you are, say deep subprime, the more reinforced locks are on that door that need to be opened with a key to allow you access. These keys are things like living stability. You have to prove your investments or your level of rental agreement, job stability, proof of income, how many documents you need to provide for the income, whether or not your employer will be called on top of these documents. Imagine the door in a very sketchy neighborhood with all those locks on it, and you have to unlock each and every one. Now, once you go through that battle of unlocking all those locks, the comfort of the room that you're going to enter on the other side of the door is also dependent on how many locks you had to open. On the other side of the story, Prime Credit opens doors for you. Now, sometimes you have to push a button and sometimes it just swings open for you and ushers you in. The higher you are on the Prime Credit food chain, the more ornate and welcoming the room is that you enter. Subprime, you fight to get in and you may have to have a hard chair to sit on with no food. Prime credit, you get to walk into a feast with a butler waiting for you on the other side, waiting to feed you. Okay? The goal is to get from the point where your credit is closing the doors to a, a point where your credit is opening the doors for you. Okay? So that's what you want to do. You want to work hard so that your credit just allows you to do whatever you need. Oh, wow. So there is a lot to consider uh, between prime and subprime candidates, which is awesome. Um, now, with that in mind, is there any different institutions someone who would be subprime would go for versus someone in prime? Um, or are the institutions all the same and just have different uh, departments to ensure that their client base is taken care of? Yes and no. Initially, most institutions focused on whether it was prime credit or focused on subprime credit. They focused on one or another, and still some do do that with a heavy focus on one another. However, most lending institutions have now realized that both markets are profitable and both markets are necessary so that they can attain share wallet. Some banks and institutions that focus on prime or subprime have allowed different sectors within their institution to accommodate for those other positions, especially those prime banks such as TD Bank, um, Scotiabank, they have subprime sectors such as in the case of TD, TD Prime and TD Non-Prime. So Michelle, if I were to be subprime, what kind of starting interest rates are we looking at? Like. Prime rates we know come or are generated based on what Bank of Canada says, and then the institutions, whatever they add on top of that, that's up to their, discre uh, dis their discretion, I should say, sorry. But what are the starting rates for subprime uh, in this point in time? Okay, so starting rates and maximums are really product dependent in the subprime market. Mortgages, being as they are, they're secured by real property, they allow for much lower rates, which can still vary wildly by the length of the term versus um, and the type of mortgage, whether you're looking at a variable mortgage or a fixed rate mortgage. 
Okay. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got unsecured baby loans. So when you take a look at it at quick glance, we're going to exclude the mortgage market right now because it's much more highly dependent on a lot of things. Um, when you're looking at secured loans and lines of credits, such as car loans, etc., the subprime market can start at, say, 8.99, sometimes a little bit lower, and go up to rates as close as 60% in a predatory installment loan sector, okay? Um, when you're looking at, say, things like the... Uh, payday loans and stuff like that, your actual annual rate is closer to 390% when you look at the uh, charge of $15 per $100 loaned over a one-year period, okay, um, if that loan is renewed consistently over the year. So please, I beg you, read your fine print when investing and make sure that you know whether or not this is a true emergency. Okay, fantastic. So what kind of products are we looking at that are offered to subprime candidates? Is it the same as prime? Is it different? What kind of products are we really looking at for subprime? Okay, so, um, well, the products that you can get right now, just about all lending products have a subprime component. Um, from payday loans to subprime lenders offering higher rates on lines of credit, such as cash money to credit cards that are designed to get the subprime lender back on track, such as the capital, the capital one cards, subprime auto loans, where there are car loans that are at a higher rate than the max out the amount of a car loan that you can have, and mortgages that are at a slightly higher rate. All these sectors have realized that it's profitable to uh, make somebody pay the piper on their journey back to good credit, so they can earn their way back by paying a little bit more interest. OK, um, so you can get it in just about any product that the more important thing is, is you just get back on track. So sometimes you have to take that slightly higher rate mortgage so that when it comes to renewal time, you can see if you can refinance your way with another institution down to a lower rate by showing that you had two or five years of good mortgage history. You get that Capital One credit card where you have to put a deposit and you pay it well. They'll start increasing your limit, which helps with your utilization on your credit score. Um, and eventually it will become just a regular credit card. Those subprime auto loans, I've seen people and my own people that I have worked with go from being a subprime auto loan to a prime auto loan candidate within a couple of cars. But the biggest thing that's going to depend on is your behavior and what you're going to do to really earn your way back down that case. So yes, almost every product out there um, are offered for the subprime market. It's just that which way you're going to behave when you get that product. So if I got approved as a subprime candidate and I wanted to go to prime, generally speaking, is there a time frame on how long that can actually take or is it instant? That is a very, very good question. A lot of people don't realize how lucky they are to be approved for a subprime loan. This is because your past credit behavior has shown that you at one time at least haven't kept up with your financial obligations. These financial obligations are promises to keep to a certain payment schedule in exchange for that institution taking on the full burden of the amount that you were borrowing or the service that you needed to access. 
sometimes you have to pay the piper. So you're going to have to pay higher rates to show that you can stick to a financial agreement again and earn back the trust of prime lending situations or um, those offering near prime rates. So a lot of people nowadays, they're acting entitled in the subprime market because lending agents like myself had made it much easier for them to apply incognito, such as over the internet, as well as easier for them to attain a loan regardless of their credit history. Now, I didn't say attain a prime loan and prime rates. No, they're able to get a loan depending on their credit history, and their rate range will depend on where their credit history fell. So we are looking at much more elaborate range of credit impaired customers from the credit criminal who's facing life in prison for their past indiscretions to the individual who is an extraordinary event that happened that prevented them from holding up their obligations such as divorce, death in the family, or pandemic without government intervention. So it depends on how deeply subprime you were when you began. The important thing to consider is to take those steps of recovery. Okay, I can't give you an exact amount of time or exact amount of uh, or date because it really depends on how bad the history was. But you need to take those steps of recovery so that those positives on your credit bureau will start to overshadow or outweigh the negatives um, until those negatives have a chance to either fall off your bureau or become inconsequential for you showing you that you're a new person. Your credit history is your financial reputation. Those negative events can take up to seven years or more in the case of something like a double bankruptcy, 20, 14 years to 20-something years to, to come off of your bureau in a third bankruptcy um, to erase those past indiscretions. So it's best to create a new reputation that overrides that past delinquent credit behavior. The only way to do this is to attain new credit and to pay it well. Yes, you will have to pay a higher interest rate. Again, you need to pay that piper so that you can get over your past credit history and now show that you are a careful credit investor. Um, but... Please be careful. There are a lot of products out there that take advantage of your desire to repair your credit. If you want to consult, please contact me at a later date and we can go over those options with you. Okay? So some of the things you can do to repair your credit is you can get a credit card. Pay it on time. Set it up, the payments on automatic withdrawals so that the minimum payment always comes out of your account and you're never late. Keep the amount that you owe on that credit card less than 60% of the limit if you can. Get a loan or a car loan and pay it back on time every month. You want to try and keep these on your file for around a, at least a year so that it can show a pattern of behavior that you've reestablished yourself. But it doesn't mean that you have to stick to those low payments. You can pay more. It's just that you need time for your credit to repair. Okay. Um, if you can get a car loan, it's a little easier to get than some of these unsecured loans and pay it back on time every month. Um, you might be able to learn your way to a line of credit um, or something else down the road given time. Okay, so these are all actions that you have to take. The biggest and the most important thing is to do some sort of action to get yourself back on track. So, Michelle, at the moment, let's just assume I'm a subprime candidate and I can't afford my bills because of COVID-19. So essentially, I have a car on subprime uh, lending, or I have a credit card with subprime rates, um, a mortgage with subprime rates, uh, anything in that uh, regard. 
uh, is the institutions that are backing the subprime candidates up doing anything to help for COVID-19? Or are we kind of just left out in the loop? This is a unique um, time that we're facing with the pandemic right now. A lot of people are very unsure about what they want to do with their money, how long they're going to be off of work. And so the government has stepped in and mandated that these institutions allow you some help. Okay. So because people are living on a much lower income, some are not working at all and some are working a lot less. And some are just not as capable to make money because their earning money depends on the other units within the economy being fruitful. So the institutions are allowing you to do things such as skip a payment um, by way of taking that payment that was due and tacking it to the end of your loan. In some cases, you only pay the interest that's due in that month to keep the payment up to date. Um, some institutions are offering a complete deferment where they put everything at the end. Please call your current loan divider to provide out what options are available on your specific loans. Um, it, it will be very worth it for you to sit on hold during this time. So, Michelle, I hear a lot of people always tell me, like, you know, from even the industries that I've worked at and when we talk about credit, um, they don't under really understand what an Equifax or TransUnion report is. What they do is they look at something like Credit Karma and then Credit Karma tells them that their credit is great or good, let's call it. And now, you know, people become stubborn to believe that Credit Karma knows best about their credit. Can you just express to me that just because if Credit Karma says that you're good, does that necessarily mean you're prime? Uh, the Credit Karma. Credit Karma is saying that, yes, your credit's good. Okay? Credit Karma makes your credit good. The, the goal of places like Credit Karma is to encourage you to apply for credit. They want you to apply for a credit card because that's how they earn their money. Okay? So, they are saying that you have good credit, and maybe your credit score does range in that good rate. However, it doesn't mean that you're prime. Credit scores are a starting point. With prime scores being over, say, the 660, 670-ishes, but there's more to it than that. It's more that's being considered when you, you're looking at a true prime credit candidate. So true prime credit worthiness factors in such as how long your credit history is, what your employment history has been like, how stable is your address, what kind of income you're learning, what kind of professional designations do you have, your level of financial establishment, do you own a home? All these things come into play when they're looking at true prime credit. Scores are really just the beginning. So, Michelle, what really affects my credit then? So, you know, what are, I guess, the breakdowns almost, if we wanted to call it? What affects your credit? Well, there are several factors that affect your credit, and the things that affect your credit weigh differently on the algorithm that creates your score. So... One of the things that affect your credit are increase. This is one of the smallest contributors to your overall credit worthiness, and it's the one that people react to the most, okay? So a credit inquiry is who has looked into your credit in the past. This is about 10% of your credit history. When you look at your own credit, it's not uh, a big deal. 
Okay, it doesn't affect your score. It's when a third party, such as a financial institution, looks at your credit. And there are hard hits and there are soft hits. But every hit does affect your credit score outside of you looking at your own credit. Okay, this is 10% of your credit score. Inquiries are supposed to stay on your credit history for about 36 months. The next 10% or so goes to your public records. These are things like judgments, bankruptcies, appearance collection items, these things that are out for the public to be aware of when they are investing in you. The next 15% is your overall credit history. How long you've been on the bureau, how many trades you have, how thick is the offering or how thin is the offering, your reported address history, etc. Now, this next contributing factor is called your utilization. This is a big chunk. It's 30% of your overall credit score. 30%. Okay. Now, what the utilization is, is how much of your available credit you're using versus how much of your overall credit that's been issued for you. So when you're taking a look at, this is has to do with revolving products. So your limit of your revolving products, these are credit cards and lines of credit, versus how much of that limit you're using. This is 30%, guys, of your overall credit score. It is the easiest thing to get out of control. Oh, I'm gonna go out, I messed up my card, I bought all this. And I, and I did all this stuff and you had a lot of fun doing it. And it's also the hardest to recover from because now you've got to pay down those limits while the interest is working against you and paying down those limits. That's a conversation we'll have on another day um, on the effect of uh, maxing out your credit on your overall because it just eats away at you um, and your financial progress um, over the years. Okay. But that's 30% of your score. The largest, most impactful factor on your credit history is your actual payment history. Your actual payment history. So this is, are you paying on time? Is it a pattern of delinquent behavior or is it an isolated incident? How many payments have been missed and for how long? What's the mix of credit accounts or trade lines that you have in ratio of bad or good behavior versus each other. All these things are called your trade lines or the accounts that you have. Your behavior with those accounts are a whopping 35% of your score. Yes, Rogers and TELUS do contribute to that 35% of your score. Yes, that credit card payment that you missed three years ago is still impacting your credit score. The thing that went to collections five years ago is still affecting your credit score and is still being seen on your credit history. Though it might have been paid off or might have been five years ago, it's still affecting you now. This is why I talk about your credit being like your your um, your finance your credit bureau being like your financial rep. You get a rep in high school, it takes your whole high school to get rid of it. It's the same thing with your financial rep. It might take seven years for that stuff or more to fall off of your credit bureau. All these things combined are what's going to create that actual credit score. But um, a true underwriter is going to go and look at all those activities and make a true picture of where you are within your credit history.
Interesting. So we only have time for one more question on tonight's episode. I know there's a lot to talk about with credit, both prime and subprime. I really don't want to take up much of your time on your busy schedule, especially. So most recently, I've had a lot of people say, you know, I max on my credit card, but I always pay it off on time. Does this qualify me to be a prime candidate? Or is does that affect my credit, credit I should say, negatively? Okay, now this is actually an excellent question. I max out my credit card every month, but I pay it off on time. Am I a prime candidate? Okay, so one of the things I want to point out to people that I haven't even touched on is that you actually have two credit scores. You've got your credit score on your credit bureau, and you've got your credit score with your financial institution as your relationship score with them. Your financial institution that you have that relationship score with is going to love you for maxing out that card and paying it off every month. They're earning a lot of money off you. They're happy. They don't even care about the fact that they're not getting interest on you. However, when it comes to your actual credit score, this strongly depends on where you are in that process of maxing it out and paying it off when your credit's being reported to the Bureau. Most institutions report once a month to the Bureau, and when they report if you're maxed out, then it's hurting your credit. If they report and you're at a zero balance, it's helping your credit because it goes back to that 30% of your credit score for the utilization that we were talking about before. Okay, so no matter what, if you're matching out your card and you're paying it out every month, your relationship score with that financial institution is going to love you. Your credit score with Equifax or with TransUnion is going to wobble all over the place depending on when they are when you report when you're, or when your financial institution reports. So um, sometimes you're going to be prime and sometimes you're not. Awesome, Michelle. Well, thanks for coming on today and answering all those questions. Really appreciate it. Um, I feel like I'll have more questions for you very soon uh, with people chiming in, uh, whether that's through uh, our social media pages and or personal email. Um, as they do, um, you know, hopefully you have time again to come on the episode or another episode, I should say, um, and be able to talk further about credit. Um, maybe next time more about variations between sub-zero, subprime, and prime at that time. Uh, thanks again. Appreciate it. And uh, have yourself a great day. All right, guys. So that's all the time we have for today. Uh, I know the segment was a little longer than normal. Um, again, it boils down to the fact that there's a lot of intel or information, I should say, in regards to what subprime and prime really are. Uh, there's still an abundance of information. We didn't even cover, you know, 10% of it. But I want to keep in mind that I hope this is good, uh, especially for educational purposes, for those that don't really understand credit, those that are actually um, trying to build their credit today, those that have substantial credit but don't know how, if what they're doing is actually helping them positively or negatively. Um, again, I really hope that this is really educational for you. I thank you all for tuning in on this episode. Tune in again. Uh, we're going to be moving forward with uh, how the CERB and EI and taxes uh, are both helping individuals and businesses very shortly uh, in the next coming days or so. Look out for that episode. Have yourself a wonderful weekend, everybody. And this is Aaron Tabasum signing off. Punch your knowledge.